Father, we thank you that you're calling the shots. We thank you that you're in charge. You were in charge before we were born. You, and you're in charge after we leave this earth. You're just flat in charge. You, uh, you're a great God. You're a powerful God. You're incomprehensible, yet you're knowable. I, I thank you for these guys that have a desire to know you and who show up here, and it always amazes me that they, they it really does, that they'll come and, and listen to me as long as I go on these Wednesday nights. And I, I love these guys, and I thank you for them and their hearts and their openness and their teachable spirits. I thank you for this church. It's been just a delight over these three years that we've been doing this study now. It's been just such a great thing for me. And... Uh, We've got different needs, Lord. We're dealing with different things. I thank you for the uh, sharing tonight, how honest guys uh, were with the different things that they're dealing with. And Lord, the fact of the matter is we're just a bunch of guys here. We're all, we're all in the same boat dealing with the same stuff. We've got pressures and we've got concerns and we've got things in the future that we're not clear on and don't make sense and we don't know how they're going to work out. And if it doesn't work out, we're going to go down for the count and we can't juggle it. And, and you know, Lord, then and you got it all wired. There's that invisible hand that's always there. So we thank you for that. We want to finish, Lord, tonight with looking at an aspect of your character that is, um, is, is quite frankly refreshing. Not only is it true, it's just refreshing because of the culture that we live in. Thank you for who you are, that you've given us life to know you. You've opened our eyes. Give us teachable hearts. Help us to be ruthless with ourselves. Help us to be not just hearers, but help us to be doers, we ask, of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We live in a culture of change. Change is the name of the game. Everything is changing. Everything. What was true 10 years ago isn't true today. According to our culture and the experts in education. Uh, everything's up for grabs. Uh, what was illegal five years ago is legal today. Uh, everything's changing. Laws change. Uh, systems of government change. If the founders of this nation could see where we are today, they would be in a state of shock because they designed it with a balance of power. And that balance is gone. What happened? Uh, there was a change somewhere. 
And as a result, um, we've, got, we've got some real chaos going on. Because governments change. As well-intentioned as the founders were, uh, it was inevitable that, that it was going to change. Marriages change. Why do marriages change? Because people change. Because they go through different chapters of life, and what they thought they were looking for when they got married, uh, 10 years later, they're not looking for that, and they want something else. And you see, the idea of commitment has changed, so you just go ahead and leave the marriage. You see? Uh, feelings change. Jobs change. People who say uh, that they're on your team and that you can count on them, you find out you can't count on them. Um, friends change. Sometimes we get betrayed by friends. Sometimes people that say they'll always be with us when push comes to shove and the pressure's on, they're not with us. Um, that's hard to take. It, uh, it hurts. It's disappointing. The problem is we, we have all done it in different ways and in different forms. We've been studying the attributes of God. We started with the holiness of God because that is God's primary attribute. Uh, when we talk about God's attributes, we're talking about his characteristics. We're talking about the different aspects of God's, if you will, personality, of who he is, uh, uh, of what he is like. God is holy. God is also a God of love. Uh, God is a God of grace. He is a God of mercy. He's a God of justice. Um, all of his traits and all of his attributes must be understood through the prism of his holiness. Um, tonight, we're going to look at what the theologians would call the immutability of God. The immutability. Here's how I use that. Here's how I phrase that. We're going to look at the fact that God never changes. Everything in our culture changes. Law changes. Marriage changes. Truth changes in our culture. And you, you know how I mean that. Uh, uh, politicians change. They take one position and then later they take another position. See, there's constant change. Our, 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 this, this community has changed in, in 10 years. It's unbelievable how this community has changed. Everything, everything is changing. God never changes. We all need stability. We, we all need a reference point. We all need an anchor. We all need something we can tie on to. We, we all need something stable. We all need something we can count on. That's God. Let me find my Bible here. That's a good place. So tonight, the never-changing God. Let's start at Psalm 102. When I walked in, Dale said, you don't have a lot of books tonight. And I said, that's because I don't have much to say tonight. But indeed, what, I don't have a lot of books, but I got a lot of Scripture. So as we look tonight at this attribute of God, the immutability of God, or the fact that God doesn't change, we're going to look at this from some different angles. What is it about God that doesn't change? Uh, let's start at Psalm 102, and we'll look at verses 
22, or rather 25 through 27. This will be our uh, kind of our headline verse, and then we'll fill it in as, as we go through this tonight. Um, people have different ideas about God. They have different concepts of God. Uh, some people think God is that, uh, that grandfather. You, you've seen that caricature of him. Uh, the long beard, the, the, the real, kind of a Santa Claus kind of guy. Just real easy to get along with, you know, kind of a little bit overweight. Uh, just real genteel. Uh, that's their view of God. Some people think God is like a policeman. A real, uh, you know, good cop, bad cop. They think he's a bad cop. Uh, he's just right down the line. He's real tough. He, he, there, there's no give. There's no flex. There, there's no room for uh, circumstances. There's no grace. That's not the guide of the Bible. Um, what is God like? Psalm 102, verses 25, says this. I'm still breaking in this new Bible, guys. I almost brought my old Bible from seminary tonight. Because I was going through these verses and it just kind of falls open to these verses. But i got to break this one in. Psalm 102 verse 25 says, Of old you founded the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. Even they will perish, but you endure. And all of them will wear out like a garment, like clothing. You will change them and they will be changed, but you are the same and your years will not come to an end. So what is it about God that doesn't change? Here's the first thing about God that doesn't change. God's life doesn't change. His life doesn't change. If there's anything that's true about our lives, our lives change. Uh, a year ago, some of you guys had a job. Today, you don't have a job. Our, our life changes. Our feelings change. Our, uh, our uh, financial situations change. Uh, uh, we have seasons of health. Paul uh, was a weightlifter, bodybuilder kind of guy. Great shape. Paul's going through change in his life because this disease is eating him up. He can't lift what he used to lift. He can't do what he used to do. He's in a period of change. Uh, the life of God doesn't change. Uh, a theologian by the name of Burkhoff said this. He says, no change is possible in God since a change is either for better or worse. But in God, as the absolute perfection, improvement and deterioration are both impossible. It can't happen. A.W. Pink says, he cannot change for the better for he is already perfect. And being perfect, he cannot change for the worse. God's life doesn't change. Um, let's go to Psalm 90, verse 2. If, uh, if you look at Psalm 90, it says, Before the mountains were born, or you gave birth to the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Um, this term, I'm going to give you some verses, and we're going to look at this term everlasting. 
Everlasting refers to the kind of life that God has. Our lives are not everlasting. Because, you see, our lives had a beginning. You celebrate your birthday every uh, four or five months. At least that's how it seems now, doesn't it? How fast birthdays come. Uh, You have a birthday. Uh, About nine months prior to your birthday, you were conceived. Before you were conceived, you didn't exist, so you are not everlasting because you haven't lived forever. God has. Before the mountains were born, or you gave birth to the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. God was there before. Before anything, he was there. That's Psalm 90. Look at Psalm 93, verse 2. We're going to pick up a theme here. Your throne is established from of old. You are from everlasting. And what does everlasting mean? It refers to the kind of life that God has. When the scripture uses the term everlasting, it's speaking, guys, of continuous existence. There is a... Uh, I'll just give you the term. I don't usually throw around theological terms. But when you study this in depth, in depth there's something called the aseity of God. It is the self-existence of God. God has always been. And maybe you had an experience with with your kids, as I did with mine, where that day comes and they say, Daddy, where did God come from? What do you say to that? You say, well, God has always been. And their little minds are trying to work that through, and they go, yeah, okay, all right, he's always been. But, but where did he come from? <laughs> well, he, he's always been. And then I remember as a little kid, I remember thinking, I try to think back as far as I could, okay? Bef- even before he created the world, okay, you go back behind that, before then you go all the way, okay, all the way back, okay, all right. But how did he get there? Well, he's always been. Well, well, no, that can't be. No, it is. He didn't have a beginning. See, if he had a beginning, he'd have to have an end. If he had a beginning... What was it that begot him? There has to be a God. There has to be a first cause. There has to be an uncreated one who has always been. God has always been. There's never been a moment when God hasn't. Don't ask me a question on that because I can't answer it. I'm kidding you. Go ahead. I think it helps to understand what you can understand that he lived outside of time. Well, of course. Yeah, he created time. Sure. Yeah, and that's a great point. He lives outside of time. Time is just a creation. It's just something he came up with. But God is outside of time. But, but God has always been. Uh, if you look at um, uh, Jeremiah 10.10, 10, you're going to find the same thing. If you go to your right from Psalms, you'll get over to Jeremiah And you find this. I mean, we we could look up 40 verses that state this. But the Lord is the true God. I'm in Jeremiah 10.10. He is the living God and the everlasting king. At his wrath, the earth quakes and the nations cannot endure his indignation. Uh, He is king. He's running the show. He's king of kings. He's Lord of lords. And he has always been. That's an amazing thing. 
You know, it cracks me up. We, there are times when we have issues with God and, and we're trying to figure God out or we get upset about God and we get angry with God and because he hasn't done it the way we think that he ought to do it. We think we've get, been given a short, you know, deal. Um, you, you know, that is really a ludicrous thing because of who he is and because of who we are. There are times when we think God has been unjust. Flip over to Psalm 77. The guy in Psalm 77 is having a tough time because he has experienced some reversals in his life. He says, my voice rises to God and I will cry aloud. My voice rises to God and he will hear me. This guy is in trouble and he states that in verse 2. In the day of my trouble, I sought the Lord. In the night, my hand was stretched out without weariness. You you guys have been there. In in other words, you can't sleep. Things have taken a turn in your life, and the bottom has fallen out, and uh, you can't get any rest because you're so anxious. The things that you could count on are gone. That job, that career, uh, your investments, uh, your wife, Whatever it might be, those things are gone. So you can't sleep. You're in trouble. In the night, my hand was stretched out without weariness. I I didn't get tired of stretching out and trying to... I can't sleep, so I'm trying to get to God. Catch this. My soul refused to be comforted. This guy is honest. There will be times in life when we all experience this. That the thought of God does not comfort us... Because we feel that God has changed towards us. We're not getting a break. Nothing's going our way. We're we're starting to lose hope. Look at this guy. I mean, how honest this guy is. Verse 3. When I remember God, then I am disturbed. When I sigh, my spirit, then my spirit grows faint. You have held my eyelids open. What a great picture. You're You're the reason I can't sleep. You've missed me over. You're the one that's keeping, you've got my eyelids wide open. How in the world can I rest with what you've allowed to happen in my life? He says, I am so troubled that I cannot speak. Look at verse 7. Will the Lord reject forever? And will he never be favorable again? Has his loving kindness ceased forever? Because right now, that's how it appears. God has changed. God was good to me. Now God has withdrawn from me. Uh, Has his promise come to an end forever? Has God forgotten to be gracious? What this guy is saying is, has God changed? And the answer is no. His circumstances have changed, but God hasn't changed. He kind of pulls himself together in verse 11. He says, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. I will remember your wonders of old. I will meditate on all your work and muse on your deeds. he's starting to get focused here. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God? You are the God who works wonders. And then he works his way down to verse 16. He talks about the waters. He's talking about the Red Sea and what God did at the Red Sea. But his circumstances have changed, and he's trying to find his balance. There are times when when, uh, the rug is pulled out from under us in life, and, and we have the great potential to get mad at God and to get angry at God because the way God deals with us has changed. But see, the fact of the matter is, God doesn't change. 
He might allow my circumstances to change, but he's doing that for my good. We do this with our kids. We see certain things going on in the lives of our kids that they don't see, and if you're a good father, you will work to change the circumstances of your son or daughter's life in various situations. And then they get upset at you because you've changed. You haven't changed. Your love hasn't changed. Your commitment hasn't changed. You're just changing methods. Your heart is the same towards them. You just are not able to deal with them in the same way if you're going to love them. You can't let that keep going. Let's get back to God. This is what Jesus said when he came that just drove the Pharisees nuts. See, when you're talking about the fact that God's life doesn't change, and you talk about from everlasting to everlasting, you're speaking of continuous existence. Um, go, to, go to Exodus 3.14, if you would, please. When uh, Moses, you know, M- Moses was in Egypt, he was raised as Pharaoh's son, um, he tried to pull off the exodus at the age of 40 by stepping in and defending that Jewish slave. He thought the, the Jewish people would understand that God had put him there to uh, be their rescuer. But the Bible says they did not understand, and he had to flee from Pharaoh um, because he killed the Egyptian guard. Uh, so he was in the desert for 40 years, and one day he sees... Oh, and by the way, for 40 years, nothing's happening. And then one day, he sees a bush that's burning, and the bush is not consumed. God speaks to him out of this bush, and God is calling him. It's now time to go back to Egypt and lead the people out. Now it's time, 40 years later. So you thought the time was when you were 40. You were wrong. The time is when you're 80. He was right about what God had called him to do. He was just 40 years off on the schedule. And that often is what happens to us. We have a sense of what God wants us to do. We're just off in terms of time. But see, that was always God's plan, is that it happened when Moses was 80. God didn't change. But circumstances, the circumstances Moses was dealing with, God enabled them to change and controlled them to make Moses the man that he needed to be so that he could do the work that God's calling him to do. God didn't change. And when God's speaking to him, and, and Moses is giving all these objections. Verse 11 of Exodus 3, Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, Certainly I'll be with you, and this shall be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God at this mountain. Then Moses said to God, Behold, I'm going to the sons of Israel, and I will say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they may say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. That's my name. I am who I am. Um, The verb in Hebrew here is in the future tense. It literally is, I will be what I will be, but it is of the same force as the present tense, except that it designates perpetual duration of time. In other words, what God is saying is, what is my name? I am the God of continuous existence. I am the God who has always been and who always will be. 
This is what Jesus said when he showed up. Um, Go to John 5 in the New Testament. Why did the Pharisees get so upset with Jesus? Because he claimed to be this God, this God of continual existence, who had no beginning and has no end. Um, John 5, 18. For this reason, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because he was not only breaking the Sabbath, but was also calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. When you make yourself equal with God, you're the, you're the one then who has no beginning. Which takes us to John 8. This is where Jesus really got into it with these guys. John eight fifty six. This is a great passage. <laughs> he, he's got this, he, he's, he's getting into it with these guys. And uh, he says in verse 56, he said, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day and he saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old and you've seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. And I mean, he was, he was just, boom, right in the chops. Well, Jesus was just a good moral teacher. Jesus was just a, he was a good man. And it does, doesn't it? Look at this. Therefore, they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. They understood exactly. Jesus said, I am God. Hey, I made Abraham. I made the world. I am the one true God. You say, well, 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 wait a minute. What do you mean the one true God? Well, because you're, you're saying Jesus is God and, and God is God, the Father. Well, we'll go, to, go to Genesis. Flip back over there. Because, yeah, see, what we're talking about is we're talking about the Trinity. And see, you're cruising along in Genesis, you're reading Genesis 1 and all this stuff that isn't true. You know. You know, isn't that something? The most attacked section in the entire Word of God is the first chapter. I mean, you've got professors at Christian colleges that sign doctrinal statements that say they believe in errancy that will tell you Genesis 1 isn't true as it's written. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We had to come up with, because evolution is, is so strong, uh, the Christian scientists had to come up with a thing called theistic evolution. Well, yeah, oh, God, oh, God started evolution. No, he didn't. I mean, you read this thing. He spoke it into existence. So, you know, God, God in the beginning, God created the heavens. Verse 3, God said, verse 6, God said. All the way through, it's God. God said, God said, you know. Verse 24, then God said, let the earth bring forth. Verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image. Wait a minute, whoa, whoa, whoa. whoa. Wait a minute, let who? It doesn't say let me, it says let us. Who's us? It's God. God is the one true God expressed, we know from Scripture, in three persons. 
He's Father, He's Son, and He's Holy Spirit. The Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Spirit. The Spirit is not the Father. But they're all three God, totally and completely. I can't explain that to you. It's just what it says. That's who God is. So when Jesus stood before the Pharisees and said, before Abraham was, I am, I am that unchanging God of continuous existence who had no beginning and no, had no end. That's who I am, guys. And you're against me. That's who Jesus is. You know, if there's anything our culture doesn't want to hear is that there's only one way to God. They're not, they don't like that at all. Because you see, they're, they're in the diversity. Well, let me say something about diversity. God invented diversity. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. But red and yellow, black and white, they're all screwed up. Their hearts are screwed up. There's sin in their hearts, in your heart and my heart. And what red and yellow, black and white all need is we need a savior. Because we can't save ourselves. So he came down, he who was without sin, and he who existed forever, came down, was born of a virgin. He existed before he was born. But he became the God-man. He lived a sinless life. Went to the cross for your sin, for my sin. Why? Because we couldn't pay for our sin. So he did it for us. And as we saw in the Passion, he was beaten to a pulp beyond recognition. Went to the cross, died. On the third day, rose out of the tomb. And he ascended to the Father. He's at the right hand of the Father, and he lives forever to make intercession for us. And one day he's coming back. And he's going to get all this straightened out. I kind of like that. Huh? Yeah, and then, and then wrath is going to come. I mean, Chuck's doing revelation. And man, you, I mean, just, it's unbelievable. He said, if you're not for me, you're against me. You know what? I'm for him. And if you're smart, you better get on his team. You better check your jersey, man. You better make sure you're wearing the right colors because you don't want to be against him. It doesn't make any sense. John 10, verse 30. You guys still there? Are you? Okay. John 10, 30. Uh, by the way, this isn't Allah we're talking about. This isn't Muhammad. This is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. Muhammad will bow before Jesus one day and say that he is Lord. Confucius will bow. Buddha will bow. They will all bow and say that Jesus is Lord. Uh, John 10, verse 33. Once again, he's into it with the, with, with the Jews and the Pharisees. The Jews answered him, For a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy, and because you being a man make yourself out to be God. Well, at least they got it right. That's exactly what he was claiming. That's who he said that he was. Um, so God's life doesn't change. Secondly, God's character doesn't change. God's character. Man, this is great. Because this is why we can live. This is why we can uh, get on with life every day. Because God's character doesn't change. Character is defined as a person's moral or ethical structure. God's character will never change. People's character changes. God's character never changes. James 1, verses 13 through 17. 
talks about the character of God. In James 1, James says this, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Um, God does not, God does not tempt us. Uh, that is not God's, that is not God's character. Christopher Nesse wrote this. He said, all things but lying, dying, and denying himself are possible to God. Let me say that again. All things but lying, dying, and denying himself are possible to God. God cannot sin. God cannot lie because of his moral character. What's his primary attribute? Holiness. What is holiness? Moral purity. So his character isn't going to change. Um, see, this is our culture. I mean, my gosh, every time we turn around, they're changing something. They're changing a the law. They're changing morality. Every time we turn around, somebody is changing. Uh, God doesn't change. His character doesn't change. Truth comes from who he is. Right and wrong comes from who he is. It is his word. It's his law. The Ten Commandments come from his heart. Uh, God doesn't wink at sin. We do. Because his character doesn't change. God doesn't rationalize sin. I do. And so do you. I, I'm always excusing sin in my own life. God doesn't excuse sin. God's made it possible for my sin to be forgiven, but he doesn't excuse it. When I come to him with a broken spirit and a broken heart and confess my sin and repent of my sin, there's immediate forgiveness. But if I'm rationalizing, if I'm justifying, if I am trying to get you to understand my side when I leave my wife and abandon my kids, that's sin. You can spin people, you can't spin God because of God's character. Aren't you glad God's character doesn't change? Man, I am. That's a great truth. You can count on him. He's dependable. Uh, all this nonsense is going on in this culture. I really am getting to the point, guys. When I read the Dallas Morning News, I read the sports section. I read the business section. Then I read whatever they call that section B, the whatever, metropolitan, wherever you live section. That's what I call it. I'm getting where I don't read the first section. It's just too, mu it's just too much nonsense for one day. It's just too much uh, foolishness. It's just too much uh, sin. It's just too much uh, lying. It's too much double standard for me to handle. So I'm, I'm getting to a point where I'm just, I'm not reading it. Because it's everywhere. And, it, and, you, and you feel the same way. I mean, it's, it's just, but you know what's great? It's the next point. 
So why is it great? Because the next point is God's purposes don't change. So God's life doesn't change. God's character doesn't change. God's purposes don't change. You still got your Bible there? All right. Let's do three verses real quick. Isaiah 14.24. You know, we've talked about this before. There is this movement in Christianity that teaches that God, it's called open theism, and they teach that God doesn't know the future. And these guys call themselves evangelicals, that God doesn't know the future. Amazing. And this is nothing to sneeze at. Sorry, I haven't used that one in a while. Isaiah 14, verse 24. The Lord of hosts has sworn, saying, Surely, just as I have intended, so it has happened. And just as I have planned, so it will stand. Look at verse 27. For the Lord of hosts has planned, and who can frustrate it? Can the Supreme Court? Can the Massachusetts Supreme Court? Can Saddam Hussein? Uh, so they kill the president of the Iraqi New Council. Will that frustrate it? No. Can anything frustrate the plan and purpose of God? No. No. You know what? That helps me keep my oatmeal down in the morning when I read the paper. They can fight him. They can do whatever they want. They can dirty bomb. They can do this. They can lie. They can cheat. They can do chemical war. They can do this. They can get the media. They can do it. You know what? His purpose stands. And there's not a jack thing they can do about it. And in fact, and their rebellion and all that they're doing, he encompasses into his plan and will bring glory to him. <laughs> Little punks. You know? They're just pawns in his hand. He raises them up. He sets them down. He blows on them. They wither. That's Isaiah 40. How about Isaiah 46? Let's flip over there. And see, Isaiah was a prophet to the kings of Judah. We studied the kings. He was a prophet to, uh, to, to Hezekiah and to Manasseh. He saw the good kings. He saw the bad kings. He said, this nation's going down because you're ignoring the one true God. In Isaiah 46, 9 through 11, uh, do I have that right? I'm in 44. Let's try 46, 9 through 11. Yeah, look at this. Calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my purpose from a far country, truly I have spoken Truly I will bring it to pass. I have planned it. Surely I will do it. So when Chuck's going through Revelation, it's going to happen. I, did I not say Isaiah 46? No, I'm reading Isaiah 46, 11. I didn't read verse 9. I started at verse 11. I'm sorry, I'm trying to get this all in. Maybe we ought to start at verse 9, since I, brought, I mentioned verse 9. Let's try that. <laughs> Remember the former things long past, for I am God, there is no other. I am God, there is no one like me. 
declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things which have not been done. That's prophecy. See, from ancient times, he said, here's what's going to happen, but it hasn't been done yet. There are over 300 prophecies that Jesus fulfilled in his earthly ministry. Josh McDowell got some math guys, and they got calculators, and they figured out just like five of those happening. Five prophecies coming true in the life of one man. It was some, some crazy number to the tenth power. And there were over 300. How can that be? Well, because from ancient times, God has already planned and said what will be done. It just hasn't been done yet, but it will be done. It's as sure as if it was done. Um, and from ancient times, things which have not been done, saying my purpose will be established and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. Here we go in 11. Calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my purpose from a far country, Truly I have spoken. Truly I will bring it to pass. I have planned it. Surely I will do it. Just the way it is. Not a cotton-picking thing anybody can do about it. And you wouldn't want to do anything about it because it's the best possible plan. See, sometimes we get a little bit worried that if we give our lives to Christ and if we submit totally, we're going to get shortchanged. That is one of the dumbest things anybody can ever think. See, we get to think, well, this is the way I want it to go. And see, this is kind of my plan. I'd like to do it. What, what, what the snot do you know? What do I know? Look, I mean, here we are, these little creatures running around. And we, we got this plan. Oh, yeah, that'd really be good. That'd be good. Let me tell you something. He wants to bless you beyond your wildest dreams. And we get all tied in our little daytimers and our Palm Pilots, and we get it all figured, you know, and then it doesn't work. And we get all, God, what are you doing? Well, you know what? I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you beyond your wildest dreams. But I, I'm going to set it up. You, you can't understand it, so I'm not even going to explain it to you. You just, just strap it up and hang on. That's what he does. That's why we know Christ. We weren't even smart enough to come to Christ on our own. If it was up to us, we never would have come to Christ. We didn't want Christ. You say, no, I wanted him. No, no, that's because he was drawing you. That's why you wanted him. If he hadn't drawn you, you had no interest. Before his spirit started working, you weren't interested. You didn't want him. It wasn't your plan to know Christ. It was his plan that you know Christ. He's a great God. And then, and then guys... Uh, let's, uh, go to Numbers. Let's go back to Numbers 23, verse 19. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. <laughs> I was how you're doing that. I, I was reading Newsweek this week, uh, and they, were, they did a big cover story on Jerry Jenkins and uh, LaHaye, Tim LaHaye on the Left Behind series. And the, and the guy that's writing the Newsweek article, you can kind of tell he doesn't like LaHaye because, and he gives him these jabs, you know, throughout the article because, you know, uh, I mean, LaHaye was, uh, LaHaye La uh, really believes that the Bible is God's word. Of course, Jerry Jenkins does too. And, uh, and LaHaye was one of the original founding members of the moral majority. Well, my gosh, right there. 
I mean, he actually, he believes in right and wrong. He believes that certain things are wrong. He, he, he doesn't believe in, in uh, gay marriage. And he just keeps giving these jabs. And he keeps talking about the fact that during the interview, LaHaye keeps trying to share the gospel with, with him. I mean, I thought that was great. You know, Tim, he's just, he's just juking this guy. And he knows who the guy is. That was great. But, but, and see, the thing is, they can't figure out, why are all these books selling like this? I mean, who are these people that are buying these books? Because nobody in New York or Boston would buy them. I mean, it said that in the article. I mean, nobody in the Northeast is going to buy them. Who's buying them? Well, they're actually, there are people out there that actually believe, they actually believe that the Bible is true. And what, and what the Bible says about what's going to happen in the end times is really going to happen. And then it said in the article, and you know, quite frankly, you know, there are a lot of soldiers, our, our soldiers in Iraq are reading these books like crazy. And they pray to God. Uh, and, and even people that don't believe, they kind of see things happening in the Middle East that makes them wonder. How come it's not happening in Bolivia? How come it's not happening in Antarctica? It's all in the Middle East. And it's always been in the Middle East. Why? Because God's working a plan around the Middle East and Israel and Jerusalem. And Jesus is going to come back and touch at the, his feet are going to hit the Mount of Olives on the east side of Jerusalem and it's going to split. And he's going to walk in through the eastern gate which the Muslims have sealed and put a graveyard in front because they read the Bible and knew that a high priest wouldn't go through a graveyard. They thought that'd stop him. Well, that's never stopped him yet. Are we in Numbers 23? Verse 19, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said, will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not make it good? Some people, they, there, there are times in Scripture, and I'll just give them, here's one, but you read sometimes in Scripture where it speaks of God repenting, like Genesis 6.6, 6, or 1 Samuel 15.11, or Jonah 3.10. And this is where these open theists say, well, see, God changed his mind. I mean, God doesn't know the future, because, catch this. Bingham Hunter has written this. Repenting means revising one's judgment and changing one's plan of action. God never does this. His plans are made on the basis of a complete knowledge and control which extends to all things past, present, future so that there can be no sudden emergencies or unlooked for developments to take him by surprise. God has never been shocked. God has never said. On September 11th, God wasn't up there going, what the, what the heck, what is going on here? No, not at all, not at all. And all over America on September 11th, there were preachers falling all over themselves saying God had nothing to do with this. <laughs> then they, if you really believe that, then you really got a problem. Now, maybe you can't explain what he has to do with it. But it couldn't have happened. Amos says, can a calamity come on a city unless the Lord 
sends it. Now, that may not fit in with what I want to hear. It just happens to be in the Word of God. Okay. John Calvin said this. By the way, John Calvin was a good guy. A lot of people don't think he was. The word repentance refers to a change of actions on God's part. I will destroy. Now, I will not destroy. Stay with me. This does not imply that God's will or plan is reversed. For what he has from eternity, foreseen, approved, and purposed, he pursues in uninterrupted fashion, however sudden the variation may appear in men's eyes. So he's going to destroy some of the people of Israel because of their sin. And Moses calls out to him and begs with him, and God changes his mind. We've talked about this before. That's an anthropomorphism. Anthropos means man. Morphe means form. God refers to himself in human terms so that we can understand. See, God changed his actions is what he did. And the open theist said, said see, God changed his mind. Well, well here, and here's the, here's the kicker. Did God know he was going to change his mind before he changed his mind? Yes, then he didn't change his mind. It was purpose from the beginning. He did exactly what he had planned. He did exactly what he had purposed. Let's bring this home. This is what God is like. He is stable. He is faithful. He is dependable. The more I become like Christ, the more stable, the more dependable, the more faithful I become. Without Christ, I'm all over the map. As an immature believer, I'm all over the map. As God conforms me to the image of Christ, there's going to be a steadiness. There's going to be a stability. It's not going to happen overnight. It doesn't mean you're not going to go through things. I, I'm talking big picture, guys. But you see, as I'm conformed to the image of Christ one of the things that happens in my life when I am anchored on this God who never changes, then the changes in my life, even when circumstances change, the longer I walk with Him, the more I know Him, the changes don't throw me the way they used to. Does that make any sense? This is where we grow, this is where we develop. This is where we trust more than we did 10 years ago. And you know what? Your family needs somebody like that, and my family needs somebody like that. That when the bottom falls out, we don't panic. Because we know God's there. See, I don't have to panic. So I get laid off? You know, I, all right, what, what the heck am I going to do? About three weeks ago, I started dealing with some anxiety. And you know why I started dealing with anxiety? Because I looked at my fall schedule, and it wasn't, it's usually full by this time. And there were like five slots there that were open. Well, that's how I make my living. And I started thinking, why aren't those slots full? And then I started thinking, I better get them full. And then I remember staying up late one night because I couldn't sleep. And I remember when I woke up first thing in the morning, I was thinking about that. And for two days, I had to work 
to handle the anxiety. Uh, was I concerned? Yeah, I was concerned. Are they all full now? No. Uh, but why aren't they full? I don't know. Does God know? Yeah. When I get there, will it probably add up? I imagine. And even if it doesn't, he's still in control. Will we probably uh, go bankrupt in October? Uh, I, I, really, I doubt it. Um, I, I mean, I bet you we'll make it. See, how many times, how many times have I, and what calmed me down? I said, hey, wait a minute, hold on, hold on. Wait a minute. What the heck are you, how many times have you been through this now? For 14 years, have you watched God? So why am I getting anxious now? Why don't you just chill out? Why don't you just calm down here and trust God? Why don't you actually start applying what you know to be true? There's a novel idea, Farrar. So I did. And you know what? It just steadies me out. We're going to be fine. We're going to make it. I know it, and you know it. We're all going to, we're all going to make it. We're all going to die. And you know what the good news about that is? When you die, you get promoted. <laughs> oh, and the guys that have died, you, and we feel so sorry for them, they're up there. You guys are nuts. If you knew it, if, we have no conception. <sighs> He's a great God. Would you not agree? You guys feel better about life? I do. He doesn't change. God never has mood swings. He doesn't. God loves me, period. He loves you, period. That's a God worth serving. That's a God worth, worth worshiping. That's a God worth trusting. I tell you what, there's a lot of religious nonsense. Why would anybody go to church? with all this stuff in most of these churches. I mean, you stand up, you sit down, you jump and light candles, you do this, you, you turn the lights on and off. I don't know what you do. But you know, when you open the Bible and you read the Bible and you have it explained to you and you, can under, you say, God, you know what? I want to know. I don't want a religion or this or long robes. I want to know you. And I get to know you and you know what? You change my life. And you show me how to live life. And I can calm down and not be where I can, because you're the God who never changes. I'm going to live off that this week. How about you guys? Let's, let's stand and pray. Let's stand in his presence to honor him. Father, we thank you in Jesus' name for what you have done. We thank you for who you are. We thank you that you have always been and that you always will be. We can't understand that. We just glory in the fact that it's true. We thank you that your character never changes. We can trust you. We don't have to be afraid of you. We don't have to wonder what you're going to be like tonight when we get home. We, we, we thank you, Lord, that your purposes are going to be worked out. You've got a purpose for every guy in this room. You created us for a purpose. You've got something for us to do that nobody else in the world can do except us, and we can't die until we do it. And when we do it, we're going to die, and we're going to be promoted, and we're going to live forever. What a deal you have given to us. 
So tonight, help us to relax. Tonight, help us to enjoy life. Tonight, help us not to be irritable. Tonight, help us not to get mad. Tonight, help us to be thankful for what you've done, for who you are, that we know you, that we're going to heaven because of Jesus Christ. And that before we get to heaven, you'll take care of us down here. You'll meet every single need. You're a great God. You never change. We worship you because of that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.